Welcome back to the Broncast, a podcast all about the Ford Bronco. I'm your host, John Melton. And I'm Donnie Whiteman. We are two Bronco enthusiasts who own Broncos. We work on Broncos and love talking about the Ford Bronco. I don't know why I'm laughing. From generation one all the way through generation six. Our sponsor for today's episode is Tom's Off-Road. Tom's Off-Road has every part that you need. Fully restore a Ford Bronco. In this episode, we're going to be talking about some great questions that we got. We always invite people to send in their questions, and these are all engine bay related, but we're going to attack those. And then know your transmission, like which transmission is your Bronco? If you want something with overdrive, which one should you look at? So we're starting to hit that whole gamut. Nice. Well, what have you been working on uh, this week? Anything anything fun going on? Yeah, um, you know, occasionally I try and help out a few people with their Broncos. I, I tug at my heartstrings. Oh, my dad and I are restoring this, and uh, you know, he passed away, and it's just like, ah, oh, okay, what do you need done? <laughs> you know, it's just like. So if you're calling Donnie, you need a sob story to get him to work on your Bronco. <laughs> so, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Somebody needs to open up a Bronco shop here in Nashville to yeah, work seriously. on all these Broncos. Yeah. I uh, I really just want to build new Broncos <laughs> with, you know, I want to be a custom builder, but it's, it's every week one rolls up here, limps in here. And it's just like, oh, you can't leave that puppy here. <laughs> no more puppies. Please, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, it went through a paint and body restoration, painted this beautiful Porsche anthracite gray, and they didn't fix the damage. So one vent window opens, the other vent window doesn't open oh. and the windshield frame support needs to be pushed forward a half an inch on one side. And, you know, I, I, I told him it'd be, it'd be another month, but, you oh. know, we're going to push this beautiful frame forward, this core support. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. Are, are you like, are you worried about chipping the paint and all that? I told him there was going to be some paint work oh, after we we're done, brutal. but it's like, you know, the, the one side, the door frame and the windshield frame are touching and the paint's all chipped off. And on the other side, you can stick your thumb through it. So so he did this restoration. Did he buy a body from somewhere or did he put the body together himself? No, they had someone do it. And oh. that was the thing on the checklist they didn't, they forgot to do. Oh. And this, this truck, uh, it's a gorgeous truck. And uh, they just, the body shop just didn't do it. Wow. So I don't have any idea where it was done, but now... Uh, you know, he wants it right. And it's like, well, so we're going to take his dash off, his dash pad dash off, and we're going to push this thing around until it's right. But, wow. the, you know, that's what they would have done before they painted it. They just didn't do it. So, Well, I've noticed that, like, I've talked to a lot of people who've gone to body shops or gone to, you know, just mechanics. And what you find is the Bronco is terribly unique. It's not easy to just, oh yeah, all cars do this. So, so does the Bronco. Like it has a lot of unique things about it and it makes it terrible to work on. <laughs> you yeah. know? So it's terribly unique. And when people get these builds done or just even get their Bronco worked on at, you know, Joe's down the street, it's like, it just doesn't turn out well because because there's these little nuances that people know and need to know. And especially you, like you are the body guru uh, when it comes to the Bronco. And so it's like, yeah, being able to, to know how to fit panels together and know 
what order to put stuff in and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I was told some stories uh, from an older gentleman that said when they were building them on the assembly line, they would pull and push stuff around to get it to fit on the body mounts. And people, you know, if your frame's twisted after 50 years of life and you're trying to put a new body on it, you know, my body mount holes aren't going to line up with your chassis. Yeah. And uh, it's because maybe the chassis had a rough life, but the reality yeah. is it may not have been straight to begin with. We have three chassis in there and we were taking measurements on the front where the radiator core bolts down and all three of them are different and they're all factory from Ford. And wow. we've been fighting this with the bodies. It's like, oh, how come our fixture, it's, it can't be wrong, you know, because yeah. we use a tram and everything else and we're trying to get better than a 16th of an inch in yeah. tolerance. And, um, I'm measuring these frames and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. These are three eighths of an inch different from frame oh. to frame to frame. And they're, they're all perfect frames from Ford. And they did, they just like would put the body together and throw it on. But I'm constantly told that these trucks in the dealer lot, when you went to buy them, the doors didn't line up. <laughs> I find that really hard to put that they're, their tolerances were like a quarter of an inch. I find that so hard to believe, but I wasn't, I wasn't around to buy a car in 1966. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's like, you know, Tom's off road is our sponsor and they measure, you know, on employees trucks, you know, to try to fit these parts because it might fit on one and then it completely doesn't fit on the next one. <laughs> and it's like, they try to make it, you know, so it works close to, uh, all the time, you know, but it's like, sometimes it just doesn't fit sometimes. And even I was talking to Dennis Carpenter, uh, or the guys at Dennis Carpenter about that. And they're saying the same thing with their bodies. Like people don't understand when they buy a body from us and it doesn't fit on their Bronco. It's not because the body's wrong. It's yeah. because the frame is different frame to frame you know, regardless of if it's been in an accident or not. It's really hilarious to look at the welds on the frames too. It's like done on Monday, hungover. <laughs> I left my glasses at home. Like the welds are so bad, but they're using, you know, giant stick welders with like eighth inch rod. And I, I don't know how fast they were making these, but we just had this, this whole revelation last week where we we're measuring these three chassis and all three of them were different at the core support. It's wow. like, well, no wonder, yeah. you know, yeah. but anyway, totally. it's quite, quite an education. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I just put in a big order, um, at Tom's off road for my next round of parts. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but, um, uh, got it all in and I'm going to start working, working back on the restoration on the 74. Um, and man, I got the vintage air, uh, air conditioning kit, and it's like three boxes and one of them is huge. And I'm, I'm not sure why it's so big, but I'm like, geez, this is like a serious kit. I think it's because I got that, the piece that goes under the dash yeah. um, and has the vents all under there. So I'm excited to put it all together. Um, and then I got like all my switches and knobs for my dash. Um, I got the wiring harness uh, and... What else did I get? I got a couple other things just to kind of have some, you know, stuff to put together. This is, you know, going into this part of the build. I know people are like, you haven't even painted your restoration yet. Um, but I want to get everything put together so that 
if I need to drill a hole for the air conditioning, then I can, and I'm not drilling into new paint. You know, if I need to like do all this stuff and I even want to run the route, the wire harness under the, or like, uh, on the outside of the fender, inner fender support, Mm -hmm. um, under the, the outside fender. So you don't see it in the engine bay until it comes back in. So there's stuff like that, that I want to do that. I was like, I just want some extra time before I paint the body and get it all nice. And then I've talked to guys who are like, Oh yeah, I painted my body. And then all of a sudden I got to take a drill bit to my brand new painted and buffed body and the paint starts to crack around that spot, you know, just these terrible stories. So, um, I'm trying to avoid that. So I'm going to build as much of it as I can before I take it to paint and body. So, yeah. And then is the right way to do it yeah. is to literally the top car builders, truck builders, they build the entire vehicle and then disassemble it. And then it goes to paint after yeah. everything's been fitted. So, and that's, yeah, you're building the truck twice, two and yeah. a half times, but then you don't have those issues later. Like, oh, I didn't know this, this wasn't going to fit. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, uh, we've got uh, some Q&A question and answer this time on the podcast. We haven't had, a, haven't had a lot of questions. If you've got a question that you would like us to cover on the podcast, shoot us an email, questions at thebroncast.com. That's Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S at T-H-E-B-R-O-N-C-A-S-T. You know, we love to hear your questions and we don't often get a lot of questions. Like, you know, and I actually, I'm the one who responds to all the questions. So uh, definitely shoot us an email and we'd love to hear your questions. So we got this question from Garrett Deeds. He asks, there are a few common upgrades that I commonly see on Broncos. What do these add to a Bronco? So he asks about serpentine swap, um, transfer case, twin stick, large motors like strokers and power steering swaps. So Donnie and I don't know everything about these. So disclaimer right here. Um, But we're going to try to talk about what we do know uh, and why you would do some of these swaps or upgrades on an early Bronco. Um, And yeah, anyone else thinking about uh, common swaps or things that they've seen people do to an early Bronco and they're like, why would you do that? Shoot us an email, questions at thebroncast.com, and uh, we'd love to talk about it. Love to answer your question on air. So, Donnie, you start serpentine swap. Why would you do a serpentine? And explain what the difference. You got serpentine and V-belt. Up until um, geez, somewhere around and after EFI, so I'm going to go with in the late 80s, uh, the serpentine yeah. belt came out. And it's a multi-grooved belt. looks like a belt you put around your waist. It's flat has a bunch of tiny grooves in it. Whereas a V-belt is a V-belt pulley. It's a giant V-belt. And you, typically they squeal and make noise, and <laughs> but they work really well. They're super dependable. They're durable. Um, but that was before you had idler pulleys and you had like double overhead cams and you had all these things that you're going to drive with the belt. So what's interesting about it is an early Bronco enthusiast would only put a V-belt on. Yeah. But now you've got this option. If you're doing a, a five liter engine swap in a Bronco, it's going to have a V belt on it. So they are, because they're flat, there's a lot more surface area touching. 
So the belts don't get as hot. They last longer. They've got tensioners, which keep them tight. Whereas on a V belt, you get, you tighten it up and, and unless you check it later, it could loosen up and then you get what's called slippage. Um, so you could lose like some of your power steering while you're climbing or air conditioning on a hot day. Yeah. But yeah. So a serpentine swap is where you take all the V belt pulleys off and you replace them with these new flat pulleys. And they're typically aluminum or plastic also, which is not always great because if you hit it with a wrench and you chip it, you got to get another one if it's plastic, but it's good and bad. Like I, I have mixed emotions about this. So you do it because for me, the only reason I would really want to do is I'm doing long trips in my Bronco. And if I'm going to lose an alternator or a power steering pump, um, or even, you know, a belt, you can go to any O'Reilly's or AutoZone and they're probably going to have it or have it within two hours. Yeah. Whereas if you have a V belt, it's unlikely they're going to have it. And it may be a day before they get one. So everything is readily available in the market for V belts because they've been out for 25 years or longer. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I've, I've heard that serpentines slip less, last longer, provide more consistent pressure, but yeah, I actually didn't know the answer to that one. So I'm glad you did. Well, and, and the downside is when you do a conversion from V-belt to serpentine belt, you now lose the room that you need for your mechanical fan. Oh. So you have to pull your clutch fan off, your old metal fan, yep. and you pull it off and you have to do convert to an electric fan. Interesting. Yeah. So, cause they're thinner, you know, they're, you know, inch and a half thinner than a mechanical fan, if not two inches. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's more cost to it, but the upside is, and a lot of people that are into performance is, well, when you, you gain like eight horsepower, the drag that a metal fan or a mechanical fan oh, has is, yeah. is a good seven, eight horsepower on an average V8. And, um, you just eliminate that. So the fan comes on when it needs to come on, but it's not pulling or scavenging any power off the crankshaft. Yep. So, but you know, in a Bronco, you only need so much horsepower. So (laughs) you aren't buying a Bronco for horsepower. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Transfer case, twin stick versus stock. So what Garrett's asking here is he sees a lot of people putting the twin stick, like from JB Custom Fab. If you go off-roading, I actually did this myself. With the stock transfer case, our Dana 20s, you basically just have, uh, what is it? Two high four high, and then four low. So you're kind of limited there on what you can control. But with a twin stick, what that gives you the ability to do is to put the front in four high and then the rear in four high. So you actually are controlling with your transfer case, the the front and the rear separately. Or let's say you broke a drive shaft on the trail, your rear drive shaft. Well, what I can do is I can put my rear in neutral and then drive home with just the front drive shaft. Or let's say I'm going up an obstacle. I have my rear in four low and I'm going up and I just don't have enough traction. Well, now I can put my front in four low. So I don't have to control all four at the same time, like with the stock transfer case, the stock Dana 20. So it just gives you a little bit more flexibility when you're you're cruising off-road. So it's a nice upgrade that way. So you can engage and disengage them 
separately yeah. versus at the same time. Yeah. Yep. And if one's under a bind, that can be tricky too. Yeah. Typically, you know, you're going to have an issue, you're on a rock or climbing and you're in a bind and that makes it even harder. Yeah. So if the rear's in a bind, you can put the front in and maybe get out. Exactly. Yeah. And usually when you're on the trail, you don't want to keep unlocking and locking your front hubs. Um, but if you're, you know, in four low or four high, it's like you're kind of stuck in that with a stock transfer case, but with twin sticks, you can lock in your front hubs and then disengage it when you're not on a hard obstacle and just run, you know, your, your rears or, you know, so there's stuff like that, that, that you can do that just kind of helps you out, um, with different, different obstacles and different times that you're, you're off road. That sounds a lot better than having to remove the drive shaft. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> yep, totally. It, it makes it. You know, if you blow out a drive shaft or something like that, yeah. if you don't have any other options, you just take it out. Yeah. So yeah. you can get home. Yeah, I was on a trail and they literally warped the entire rear axle, like the whole pumpkin twisted. Like they hit it so hard, hit an obstacle so hard twisted the pumpkin drive shaft went up through like hit the bottom of the truck and yeah it was just like oh my gosh so in that case they disengaged instead of trying to you know pry it out there on the trail just disengage the just rear put it in neutral mm-hmm. yeah yep. that's cool and, and then, then drive it was out front wheel front. drive yeah yeah oh, that's great so yeah uh his next question is about large or super large motors like strokers and engine swaps in general so um, is that something he should do? Is that some, why does everybody do this? You know, to be honest, a Bronco, we always say this, a Bronco doesn't need all that power and it's already a high center gravity vehicle. So it can be even more dangerous. And on the pavement, all your tires are going to grab, which makes it even worse than if you're in sand or dirt, more power is more fun, yeah. but it's not going to really get you in too much trouble. But on pavement, you know, this stuff's grippy. So yeah, you can, there was a a new Bronco recently that was posted all over the place, you know, like a $250,000 restoration and he just punched it around the corner. And when he let off, the truck was halfway around. Well, just flipped right there, just rolled, tipped over and rolled. And you know, that's, that's probably a coyote swap, you know? So sometimes less power's better. I mean, it's not as much fun, but um, at the same time, uh, more power's more dangerous, but for me, you can take the 302 and modernize it. The one that you have in your engine, you can put EFI on it. You can take the loud headers off and put some new exhaust stock manifolds on it, make it nice and quiet until you accelerate. And then with modern technology on exhaust, they get louder when you get on the gas. So it doesn't have to be loud all the time. But yeah, I like modernizing an engine with a roller cam and an EFI and just being done with it. I love opening the hood and seeing a stock blue V8 under there. Now, a stroker though, that sounds really cool. Why, what, what does stroker, like, what does that mean? When someone says, oh yeah, I stroked it to 427. What is that? Yeah. So an engine has bore and stroke and, you know, you can be an overbore or an underbore. So a square bore would mean the stroke and the bore are the same size, okay. the same number. And that's a very common, effective way to run a V8. And you can go, like I said, over or underbore. And we're talking about the ratio of stroke, how high the piston is going up and down versus the size of the displacement in the piston combustion chamber. So... It's probably too technical, but anyway, (laughs) um, a stroker is when it has more stroke than bore. Gotcha. And um, so it makes, uh, potentially can make a lot more compression 
Gotcha. Um, but you know, you don't, you don't really need that. What you need is the right camshaft profile. So, which would be, you know, something torquey to move this vehicle or go off-roading. The common thing that everybody has is these engines, they put in a hot engine in it, you know, that's stroked or and bored and um, bored out, meaning it's even bigger. And they put some drag racing camshift in it, which makes no torque, which is not good to move the vehicle. Yeah. And you just, the truck isn't going to run at high RPMs all the time. You you need to drive a Bronco in the, you know, 1,000 to 2,000 yeah. RPM, not the Low five range. to 6,000 RPM. So you're not drag racing. But. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like getting a new set of aluminum heads for my 302 would be better than, you know, spending $10,000 on a 427 stroker because you just don't. You don't need that power. It's probably, unless, like you said, unless you're taking it out on the dunes every weekend and just want to rip through the, the sand dunes and need that power. But yeah, and that's like drag racing. You're almost doing wheelies. Yeah. You know, exactly. Um, it's, it's, you're not necessarily going around pavement corners. So yeah. Now on the 79, I do want to build a 460 cubic inch engine for it, but it's going to have a really torquey cam in it, not a drag nice. racing camshaft. So, that means it's going to make all kinds of torque and not a lot of horsepower. So, um, but that's what you need in a truck. That thing's going to be, I don't even know, five, 6,000 pounds when I'm done with yeah. it. You know, it's going to be heavy. Yeah. yeah. And I think a Bronco is under 3,000 pounds, a little early Bronco. They're pretty light. So 250 horsepower is a really nice number for the truck. Enough to get you in trouble, but yeah. enough to, you know, have a ton of fun with it too. And then he asks about power steering swaps. So I did uh, the Tom's off-road uh, power steering box in my early Bronco, and I did the same one in the restoration that I'm building because I really like how it drives. So our power steering, well, so if you go back, early Broncos came with a steering box that wasn't power steering, most of them, when they first came out. And it was a, correct me if I'm wrong, a six to one ratio or a, a 6.75 to one. So basically you would have to turn the steering wheel from lock to lock and it would take 6.75 turns on the steering <laughs> wheel to go all the way left to all the way right. That's like a freaking school bus. Like yeah. that is a lot of turns. You've missed your turn by then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Modern cars today have more of like a four to one or a 3.7 to mm -hmm. one. So, you know, that means that it's four turns to go from lock to lock. So if you're driving straight, then you got two turns to turn all the way one side. So um, that's a, a more modern steering box. And that's what I have with Tom's off-road. And I love that thing. I mean, it, it drives, it's not like a sports car. It's not super touchy, um, but it's enough like in it, you can turn quicker and yeah, you don't feel like you're in this big, you know, you know, school bus driving around, but then power steering that takes uh, hydraulic pressure. And from the, you know, you add, add the belt there, V belt from the engine. And that actually just offers you more turning power. So if you've ever tried to turn your wheels 
when your vehicle is not moving forward, it is incredibly difficult to turn your wheels when you're at a standstill. So power steering, what that does is it makes it easier. It uses power steering fluid pressure to turn the wheels. And that's really nice when you're off road, because a lot of times off road, you're not, you don't have momentum as you're turning the wheel, you know, your wheels are stuck. And then another upgrade is this hydro boost. So that I think is actually hydraulic pressure. Um, but that gives you more power when you're turning the wheel for less effort, more strength there. It makes you feel stronger. Muscles. Muscles. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so that's even better off-road because, you know, you put 40-inch tires on a Bronco and you're trying to turn those big tires while not moving with momentum and, and it's really hard to turn. So so those are that's why you would add power steering or hydro boost is to be able to move bigger tires, to be able to turn bigger tires. But really power steering is a luxury, like the power steering box that I have. I, it's so nice. It's way nicer than not having power steering. I would definitely recommend it. If you have a stock steering box, definitely go for the power steering setup. I think the Tom's whole setup, power steering, belts, pumps, pulleys, the whole thing was like a thousand bucks. And it was like a no brainer. Just rebuilding your stock steering box is going to cost you six or 700, you know, so 300 more and you get power steering and you get everything you need. It's definitely a good buy to get power steering. And if you go with the Borgeson setup, they have a great name in steering. They make the steering box. They make the shafts that are telescoping with the larger universal joints or knuckles at the top and bottom. But you, you prepare yourself because your stock lines are not going to thread into the holes. They're different, different size. So you end up buying their lines and then you end up buying their pitman arm and you like it did the list. You end up, everything becomes Borgeson <laughs> and you end up not saving any money and it's, it's frustrating. You get to this point, it's like, oh, now I got to order lines. You get to this point, oh, now my pitman doesn't fit because yeah. the diameter of the spline shaft's different. And then you go to put your steering shaft and it doesn't fit. So, oh. it, you know, just prepare yourself. If you're going to switch over to Borgeson, you end up buying everything Borgeson to make it work. And um, you don't save any money going that way. And, and uh, it's great stuff, but you could be $400 more into it than buying a replacement kit that's been, you know, modernized and re-engineered. And so, yeah, you don't, you don't save any money. You, you can't really piece and part that stuff in is what I'm trying to say. You either yeah. go all this way or all that way. Yeah. Well, that's a good question uh, from Garrett. Thank you, Garrett, for sending that in. Uh, if you have questions, questions at the broadcast.com, uh, shoot them over to us. All right. So we've kind of been talking about early Broncos today, focusing more on the early Bronco in this episode. Donnie and I were talking and we just started talking transmissions. We started talking transmission swaps. Why would you do a transmission swap? What are transmissions that you would want to swap in into an early Bronco? What benefits do you get? What are the prices? You know, so we thought, hey, this would be a fun episode to talk through. Now, we're not talking a lot of manual transmissions. We're more talking automatics. I know manual has, it's the more manly of the <laughs> transmissions, the more manly training, uh, but automatics are more commonly swapped, but that's just what we're going to focus on more today. Yeah. Well, if you convert yours to an automatic and if you're going to convert it, do you upgrade it? Everybody can drive your Bronco. Yeah. Anybody can drive your Bronco if it's any, an automatic, but yeah, if it's a any manual, millennial, any millennial can hop in and drive your Bronco. <laughs> a millennial? <laughs> Millennials can't so, drive So uh, let me ask you, your first Bronco was a 66. Yep. Was it a manual? Yeah. 
Okay. What did, what, what did that drive like? Um, I mean, it drove pretty terrible, period. Like, <laughs> I, it, it, the brakes didn't work, so I drove it in a field when I bought it. That was the only time I drove it. Was It was in a field. Oh, okay. Um, I bought it for $1,000. So I kind of, you know, slowed myself down by downshifting. And I think I only went into second gear, but it was three on a tree. So it was just that, you know, learning how to row through the gears and all that. So, yeah. They're fun to drive as manuals. Yeah. I have to admit. So when you're looking at it converting to automatic, it's like you don't just have to put the original C4 in there, which is a three-speed transmission, just like the three on the tree. It's just got three speeds, no over drive. So, you know, do you want to put that back in? Are you going to drive it 50 miles an hour or faster? Are you going to spend a lot of time on the highway? You know, then you probably want to look at an upgrade. For sure. Yeah. So the C4, like Donnie said, that one was in Fords from like 1964 to 1981. There's also an upgrade that I've heard people do. I don't know why you would do it. Well, I, I guess I do know why. It's a stronger transmission, but it's still a three-speed, and that's the C6 transmission. That one was around from 1966 to 1996, so almost 30 years. So it came in a lot of Ford vehicles, but again, lacks the overdrive. And when we're talking about overdrive, we're talking about that gear ratio where the C4 and the the C6, their final gear ratio is one to one. So, you know, however fast your engine is spinning, that's how fast your transmission is outputting. But if you could get that gear ratio lower, then you can go faster because the engine can spin at a lower RPM and be able to put more power out of the transmission. So most of our modern cars today have gear ratios of overdrive in the 0.6 or 0.7 to one instead of one to one. So that's what we're talking about with overdrive. So what it means in terms of driving on the highway is that can you drive 60 or 70 miles an hour? And let's say you're going 70 miles an hour. Is your engine turning 2,000 RPMs or is it turning 4,000 RPMs and screaming, screaming, which is C4, Yeah, you know? So yeah, you can change your gear ratios and your axles, but typically a Bronco has, you know, gear ratios that are for a truck and for yeah. being off road. And you don't really want to change those too much unless you're rock climbing. You want right. some really short gears in there, but yeah. For the most part, if you're going to be driving it on the highway and enjoying your Bronco and you want to drive it an hour on the highway or two hours, you're going to want an overdrive Yeah, because your engine's going to run at a much lower RPM. It'll be cooler. It'll be more fun to drive. But overdrives, when you let off the accelerator pedal, it doesn't jerk you forward, pitch you forward because it's not still in gear. It sort of goes into like a neutral slippery zone and uh, it just makes it a much nicer vehicle to drive. And I should say there's a lot more that goes into transmission and (laughs) gear ratios and all that, that we're just kind of glossing over. Like I have 35 inch tires, which are a lot larger than the stock 29, 30 inch that it would have come with from the factory. And I have the 350 gears in my axle. So for my vehicle with the C4 transmission, I'm at 67 miles an hour. I'm usually at 2,400 RPM. So you got to think about that kind of stuff too, but that'll be for another day 
all the gear ratio stuff. We're just talking about transmissions today, but yeah. Yeah, transmission options. So yeah. another common option is called the AOD, which stands for automatic overdrive. And that is an option. It came out around 1980 and ran until 1993. This does have overdrive, hence the name. The overdrive is point six, seven to one gear ratio overdrive prices from Tom's. They have some packages put together and they're about $2,200 for the transmission. You still need to uh, buy some things to make that work. And that's something that we're going to talk about. We put together some packages on what to expect to spend to get these different transmissions, but let's keep rolling through the list and then we'll come back to pricing. Yeah, for sure. There's also the AOD E, isn't there? Mm -hmm. What is that one? Yeah, that uses electronic solenoids to shift, very similar to the AOD. It's the next transmission in line. It's about the same price, probably about $2,000, but you still need the transmission and a few more parts. That's really everything you need to make the transmission fit or like a kit. So, you know, and transmission prices are all over the place. I had a a C10 pickup and I think I put three used transmissions in it before (laughs) I bought a new one. (laughs) And each, some of them were from the same people, same guy, you know? (laughs) Oh no. I, yeah, I'm sorry. I meant to give you this one. It's like, all right, you know how hard this was to put this in and pull it out. Like you just wasted a weekend and then another weekend. But so you get what you pay for. If you're going to buy a transmission, I like to get one with a warranty Yeah. because then you can return it, Yeah. you know, and and at least get another one back. So with the AOD and AODE, the the 4R70W came out and that really was very similar to the AODE. With the AODE, you're running, yeah, electronic solenoids. And with the 4R70W, there's an electronic component as well. So really with a carbureted engine, you need some kind of controller to tell that transmission when to shift. It's not reading vacuum pressure. It's not reading the same stuff that the C4, C6, and AOD are reading. So you kind of need some extra information there. But the 4R70W, that one for the four on it stands for four speed transmission. R stands for rear wheel drive. And then the 70 actually is the gear ratio. It's 0.70 to one. And then the W stands for wide gears. So it has a wider gear ratio. So I think the first gear is lower than the AOD and then uh, so on. So yeah, that one was made from like 93 to 2004. But again, if you do a 4R70W swap, you need a controller. I heard that I don't know this for sure, but I uh, like some of the Holly, like the Terminator and some of those EFI kits have transmission controllers in them. I don't think the Sniper does. My Fitech didn't. Um, I don't think my ProFlow has transmission control in there. But some of those kits, some of those EFI kits, the pricier ones have. Yeah, um, you have to step up to the uh, the Stealth. Oh, the stealth. Yeah, That's what and it, is. it has a the ECU is separate, which yeah. can be mounted inside the cab or on the firewall, and then it comes with a transmission controller module. Yeah, which is kind of cool because then you can really adjust shift points and all kinds of things like that. But totally, probably not stuff you do anyway. But um, it is nice to, that you know, and it's probably. more, $400 more, but you do get a transmission controller with it. Yeah. Yeah. The transmission controller that I've heard is best that I actually have one um, because I 
have a 4R70W, I just haven't put it in, is the uh, Quick 4 um, controller. And it's like 600 bucks. You can, I, it's called Quick 4 because I think you can put four different transmission settings in. So if you wanted to run it, you know, a little more drag racy, you know, you could put that transmission setting in, or if you wanted, you know, different shift points and stuff like that. So you can kind of have a different control settings with that. When we talk about transmissions and in, in the end of the number might be an E on the end, it means it's electronic. You've got solenoids that are opening, closing, and moving fluid around to shift the gears. Yeah. That's essentially what the E stands for. And the other ones would have a kick down cable, which is tied to your carburetor. You set it so when your foot almost hits the floor, it pulls on that cable and shifts the transmission down. It's really old school, but you sort of bypass all that with these electronic transmissions. Everything's controlled electronically instead of through, like you said, vacuum pressure. Yeah. Like this is the RPMs go up, then it shifts, you know? And so you would be upgrading an old school transmission to something that's just so much more drivable and user friendly. So my, if I had to pick one, I'm doing two, I'm going to do a 470W um, and then I've also found a 4R75, which is a pretty rare transmission. I think you may have one coming too, but it would have been out of like a Gen 5 Bronco. They're just supposed to be that much more durable and indestructible and they're, they're pretty rare. So they didn't come in a lot of trucks. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. That, that I might have one with my engine that I'm getting. So Yeah. yeah, hoping that that's still in there in the package and we'll report back on those so i wanted to compare the two so i am doing we're doing a c4 we're doing a 4r70 in another truck and then i'm gonna do this 4r75 in the the third one so another transmission that's getting more common is the 6r80 and this came out really in i mean it came out before the 6r started coming out in explorers and mountaineers but really showed up with the 2009 to 2017 ford f-150s and that 6R80 is the same thing as the 4R76. It's a six-speed R rear-wheel drive. 80 is the the final gear ratio. So a little bit smaller gear ratio, but that one actually has two overdrives. So that 80 is the first one, and then it has another one, and it actually has a low, low uh, first gear. So going from four gears to six gears is a big upgrade and really takes a lot of pressure off your engine, but it makes your vehicle feel way more peppy when you step on the gas. And Tom's has been working on putting together the adapters and all that to fit that up under the early Bronco. So I'm really excited about that one. And I think that would be a fun upgrade to just do and to see what that's like to, to put that 6R80 under under a Bronco. And just a cool little story here, a testament to the 4R70 and the 6R80 is Matt Hardy from Tom's Off-Road just put a 6R80. He's been developing that kit and he gave his old transmission that he pulled out to Shelly Beauvais and it's in the Roaming Wolves Bronco and she's running that thing 1600 miles in a, in a rally. Just, I mean, this thing was rock. It was in, it had a life before went rock crawling and now it's doing like Baja style stuff. And uh, just to tell you how durable that transmission is. So that's going to be my pick, but the 6R80, you know, that's that's the future transmission. I, my new Bronco has a 10R80, which means it's a 10-speed. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's all belt Jeez. drive. It's actually a very different transmission, but 
it just shifts. If you haven't driven a new vehicle with an eight or 10 speed belt drive transmission, they're so smooth. Yeah. I don't know how long it'll hold up because, you know, <laughs> I want to pull a house with it. Yeah. So it's probably not designed for that. Uh, that'd be pretty amazing to put a 10R80 under a Bronco. I know you can, I, aren't people doing it with the Coyote swap? Broncos? With the Godzillas, Godzilla. actually come with the 10R80, and I think all the Coyotes come with the 6R80. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but you know, big difference going from a six-speed to a ten-speed. But you know, if money were no object, I'd be doing 6R80s all day long yeah. because of the double overdrive and the low low. It's like having two different transmissions. You can do anything with that. Yeah. Well, there you go. A little transmission. You should know your transmission. What transmission do you have under the Bronco? that you're driving around today. Is it the C4? Is it a good old AOD or the 4R70W? You should you should know these things. And what transmission would you like to put under your Bronco? Make it feel a little more peppy, more fun to drive, give you a little more power feel on the gas pedal. Well, thank you guys so much for listening today to the Broncast. Hey, we're still looking for some Bronco horror stories. So if you got a horror story for us, and what I mean by that is like one of those terrible stories like I heard the other day where a guy uh, was trying to parallel park in front of a group of girls and rear-ended the car behind him and then hit the car in front of him while trying to park in front of a bar with a bunch of girls watching. Those are the kind of horror stories that we want to talk about, that (laughs) we want to share. Um, If you haven't heard that episode where we do the horror stories last year at Halloween, check that one out. But we're doing it again. So shoot us an email, questions at thebroncast.com. We want to hear your stories. And if you're going to be at a Ford Fest next week, come say hey, because Donnie and I are going to be hanging out there recording some podcasts and uh, having some fun on the track. But that's it for today. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Broncast, a podcast all about the Ford Bronco. We'd like to thank this season's sponsor, Tom's Off-Road, for all your Gen 1 and Gen 6 Bronco parts. Our technical producer and audio editor is Josh Toller, a freelance podcast mixer, editor, and trumpet player extraordinaire right here in Nashville, Tennessee. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Find our video, podcasts, and other materials on our YouTube channel, Nashville Early Bronco. Thanks again for listening to the broadcast. We'll see you next week.